Cardiovascular disease is managed better than ever today with risk factor modification, for example, through diet, exercise, and smoking cessation. Improvements in surgical and pharmacological approaches to cardiovascular disease management are also better than ever. A less recognized but powerful risk factor is mental illness. We will discuss how mental health is relevant to cardiovascular health during this Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233. Welcome, I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Dr. Corey Keyes, joining me from Atlanta. Dr. Keyes is a professor of sociology at Emory University. He was a member of the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation Interdisciplinary Research Network on Successful Aging and a contributing author to the World Health Organization's publication on mental health promotion worldwide. His recent work includes edited volumes entitled Flourishing, Positive Psychology and the Life Well Lived, Well-Being, Positive Development Through the Life Course, and Women and Depression, a Handbook of Medical, Psychological, and Social Perspectives. Welcome to the program, Dr. Keyes. Thank you for having me, Kathleen. Dr. Keyes, of course, medical professionals are trained to recognize mental illness and to make the appropriate diagnosis based on the detection of certain symptoms. But I think it is important for us to begin our discussion with a definition of mental health. Well, yes. Uh, Historically, we have viewed mental health as the absence of a mental disorder. And that poses some problems because that leaves about 70% of the American adult population undefined because in a typical year, most adults, about 70%, will not have an episode of a common mental disorder such as major depression. So I have been working on uh, trying to identify what you might call symptoms or signs of the presence of positive mental health. So that we can better understand that 70% of the population and, and where they are in terms of their mental well-being. Exactly. What does the latest research tell us about the relationship between mental health and cardiovascular health? Well, the latest research has focused a great deal on the role of depression as both a cause, believe it or not, a cause of cardiovascular disease, as well as something we might expect, a consequence of a heart attack or the onset of a cardiovascular disease. And what it has shown is that mental illness, particularly depression, is a very common, as we say, comorbidity with heart disease. In part because, as you might suspect, when patients who are, say, in their middle years or just beginning to retire, the onset of a heart disease can interfere with uh, lifestyle and with relationships, and that's often a risk factor for depression. When depressed, these patients with heart disease tend to have a harder, shall we say, time recovering from heart disease, as well as heart surgery. There's plenty of studies suggesting that depression makes it much more difficult for these patients to recover and puts them at greater risk for mortality within the six to nine months post-heart surgery. Mm-hmm. Well, what has not been recognized, I believe, has not been recognized as much as it should be In patients who have not had any signs of cardiovascular disease, those who have had a history of depression earlier in their life and are markedly elevated risk as they age for heart disease, suggesting there's something about depression that may also cause uh, heart disease. Do we know what that is? Well, it's very speculative at this point in time, but there's some research suggesting that there's, as we know, there is serotonin Uh, deficiencies in patients with depression, at least with current episodes of depression. And 
there's research now coming out that suggests when there's this deficiency, it does have some effect on our blood platelets. And it changes, believe it or not, ever so slightly the shapes of the blood platelets in such a way that may, some theorists believe, make them more conducive to collecting and clogging the arteries, so to speak. So certainly researchers have traditionally looked at the connection between cardiovascular disease and mental illnesses such as depression when they categorize their subjects as mentally ill based on criteria from the diagnostic and statistical manual or not mentally ill because they didn't fit the DSM criteria. But what do you think has been missing from this approach? How do you want to include other subjects? Well, uh, this gets us back to that issue of what, what mental health really is. And when I use the term mental health, I mean the presence of something positive. Unfortunately, the term mental health tends to be viewed by the population as the absence of mental illness, as I suggested earlier. So I've adopted a, a term that seems to really get at what mental health is, and I call it flourishing in life or flourishing. Now, it turns out when you measure, try to measure the quality of individuals' lives, what we call subjective well-being, individuals' evaluations of how well they're functioning in it and how much they feel happy about or cheerful about life. In the population, there's upwards of 13 different dimensions or signs of the presence of mental health. Uh, And so what I've decided to do um, is to use those signs as a way to essentially diagnose the presence and absence of mental health as flourishing. So these 13 signs consist of, I could give you some examples of what it is. In one cluster, there are symptoms of mental health that consist of what we call emotional well-being. Some call this hedonic well-being. It's the presence of positive emotions such as cheerfulness, interest in life, happiness. Or there is this cluster of um, or a group of signs that we might call avowed quality of life, uh, which is essentially if you ask people how are things going in their life today, today or in the past month or even the past year, how satisfied are you? Um, people will easily declare how satisfied they are with their life these days, more or less satisfied. So that, that constitutes what we might call emotional well-being. But it turns out there are 11 other symptoms of how well people are functioning in life that include signs of psychological and social well-being. And those consist of things such as, in the social side, social integration, how much you feel a part of a community, sense of social contribution, whether you feel the things that you do on a daily basis matters to the world around you or is valued by society, social acceptance, social coherence, and it's something we call social actualization, which is the sense that we as members of groups have the potential to grow. And then, believe it or not, we're not done yet. There's six more signs of psychological well-being. And I'll just list them quickly. Self-acceptance, purpose in life, positive relations with others, uh, personal growth, environmental mastery, and autonomy. Now, there, in other words, there's a long list of signs or symptoms of the presence of mental health. And so I use that collection to diagnose flourishing and the absence of mental health, which is I call languishing in life. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Dr. Corey Keyes, professor of sociology at Emory University.
Dr. Keyes, um, you took a look at flourishing and languishing uh, along with diagnosable mental illness and studied the relationship between those things and coronary heart disease. In your study, when you looked at that connection, you found a very interesting result with regard to aging women's heart health. Can you talk to us about that? Yes, uh, I would love to. It's a a very important finding. Um, First, we know that in the... uh, Female population, uh, postmenopausal, which is roughly above the ages of 51, heart disease is the leading cause of death for women. That tends not to be recognized by women in the population. Um, so it, it becomes a very important question, what are the causes of heart disease? Of course, in men, but also in women. And, and I hi- hypothesize that mental health plays a particularly important role in aging women's risk for cardiovascular disease. Now, I looked at depression and its absence. But I also included the diagnosis of whether these women were flourishing, languishing, or somewhere in between what we might call moderate mental health. And it turns out only in the aging women did we find a dose-response risk of anything less than flourishing increasing the risk of any cardiovascular disease, and only in the women above the ages of 45. And it was not uh, a risk factor, that being mental health was not a risk factor for men younger or older, or for younger women. And I might add, we included whether they were diabetic, smoking, exercising, the usual cadre of risk factors for heart disease. And mental health was as serious as a risk factor as being currently diabetic, smoking, currently or ever, or exercise, suggesting it's just as important as all those other things we know about now. But only for the women. But only for the women. Well, my hypothesis went something like this. Age is still... As we grow older, age is still probably the most common risk factor for heart disease, growing old. But that's common to both men and women, of course. What's not common across the genders is, of course, the uh, menopause. And there's research suggesting that the hormonal changes that women experience postmenopausal may, shall we say, work together with the brain chemistry that we know is associated with poorer mental health, that is serotonin deficiencies, that increase the risk of heart disease in women that men may not experience. So that those hormonal changes may is an added risk factor that combines with poor mental health to put women at particular risk. What do you think the clinician could do with this information? Well, what I would hope clinicians would do is that they begin to incorporate these easy assessments of mental illness as well as mental health into their workup of their patients. In, uh, in my own work, what I've done is produce a very easy checklist of 13 questions you can ask your patient on whether they're, so that you can determine whether they're flourishing, languishing, or moderately mentally healthy. And I think that should be as a part of every clinician's workup. And so if the clinician finds that a woman is menopausal and languishing, he or she would conclude that they were at higher risk for coronary atherosclerosis and do what? Well, I would hope the latest research on heart disease that doctors can use, they would intensify their efforts in these women then. We don't know yet what, from a mental health point of view, what you might do, but it's clear that there are interventions for for the promotion of mental health that are starting to emerge. For instance, there is a a therapist, a psychiatrist in Italy, who has developed what we call well-being therapy, and he focuses on six 
those six dimensions or signs of psychological well-being and incorporates them in his cognitive behavioral therapy. So he gets patients, both men and women, to think about their purpose in life, their self-acceptance, personal growth, and so on. And he's shown excellent results. So with depressed patients, when he incorporates well-being therapy, he finds that there's markedly lower rates of relapse in the, in the group that gets the well-being therapy compared to the group that only gets the traditional cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. Because this is a new way of looking at things, it sounds like there's a lot of work to be done in terms of addressing what you find. An enormous amount. But that doesn't mean, in fact, we, we can't begin to incorporate this in our health care because I think people, even if, they, if you can tell a patient, did you know? that you are languishing, and all the signs here suggest these are things you might want to work, work on and talk to your family or loved ones about. So It's a beginning. Hope, yeah, it's a beginning. Right. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Dr. Corey Keyes, professor of sociology at Emory University. Thank you for the discussion, Dr. Keyes. You're most welcome. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.